Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord our God, I thank you and I praise you for all the ways that you take care of us, you love us, you watch over us, you bless us, that you revealed your heart to us. Lord our God, bless us with a, a deeper revelation of the love of your heart. Open your heart to us, O Lord. Give us the grace to know how to follow you in troubling times, in troubled times. I thank you, God, for your mercies, and I ask you, Lord, for the, the strength to be able to, uh, to, to honor you in, in all things, to honor you. That's what we want to do, Lord. That's what we're committed to do, Lord. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, well, uh, just I mentioned at the just at the very beginning of the program, I was going to um, share with you. I've received a number of emails uh, now on my website. If you go to mycatholicfaith.org, it's easier to get in touch with me, and people have discovered that. <laughs> so if you go to mycatholicfaith.org, mycatholicfaith.org, there's a simple button that says contact Tom, and so you when you fill that out and you send a message to me, I get it as an email, and so. I've been getting messages from folks saying, Tom, love what you're saying about um, like finding your place of refuge, right? So that people are, are hearing and responding to that message that they're called to lead and provide and protect their families, that this is an Elijah moment, a Benedict moment, a Joseph moment. And they're like, I got it. But they said, Tom, you talk about a lot of things. You talk about taking serious actions and no half measures, but you've been really silent around the question of vaccinations and mandates and what should a good Catholic do? And um, I've been um, attempting to be sort of respectfully discreet in my sharing because of the public role I have and the fact that this is heard across the state. And so I'm, um, I am preparing to a program to share my thoughts and, and here's how I approach things and, and here's some guidance for you because uh, I share with you all kinds of things like, oh, it's really helpful, Tom, to know how to grow in my spiritual life, right? To, to be able to advance in prayer. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Love it. I'm going to, you know, it motivates me to do more. Got it. And Tom, thanks for sharing and raising the bar for us when it comes to uh, standing up, speaking out, and pushing back, right, against uh, moral issues of our day. And I got it. I'm with you, right? I, I'm, I'm fully Catholic, and I'm with you. Um, but I, I don't think I've—I I don't think I have not done a program specifically on um, the the painful divisions that exist in the church regarding really how families are making decisions around: Do you get vaccinated? Do you not get vaccinated? How should you be relating to the uh, the sources of media that are coming out and the laws and policies of the area of the state you're living in? What's a good Catholic to do? And um, I'm, I'm saying this on the day after uh, a whole new level of mandate has been put into play in how different um, sectors of the workforce have been impacted by um, the enforcement of vaccination mandates. And I, I'm hearing from, from men who are saying to me, I'm, I'm going to lose my job, uh, or I might lose my job, or what am I supposed to do? I, I want to do always what is moral, always what is in accord with my conscience, always what will be uh, good and right before God, and also honoring the call that I have for my family. What am I supposed to do? And I, I want to do it with great care, uh, because I do have these conversations, to be honest with you, like several times a week, I'm having conversations about this that are private um, with individual guys or, or women. Mostly it tends to be men who are calling me and saying to me, Tom, here's my situation. I work for this agency, this company, this organization, um, in this sector, and here is what is being required from me. What should I do? 
or help me think this through, or um, what, what does the church provide by way of guidance? And, and so that, that conversation, that started over a year ago with regards to other issues, for sure, but it has taken front and center stage. And um, I, I dearly desire to, to be of service to you in terms of helping you navigate those situations. And so um, if you're someone who is seeking uh, guidance around that and, and you can't find a trusted voice to kind of sort that out, just email me. Email me uh, through the website, mycatholicfaith.org, and uh, I will carve out time and dedicate it to you to help you think it through, to follow your conscience, to help you test and discern what a well-formed conscience means for you, to help you access sources of insight around this that um, will help you understand the Catholic Church's teaching and position around these things, and regarding the freedom that is yours uh, versus the duties that are yours, and how those mix together for you. Now, I'm not. It's not about my decision. It's about helping you discern and live your decision, and that that has often been done in connection with um, the wider conversations regarding what does this mean about where I'm living. What does this mean about where I'm working? What does this mean about the community, the city, the county, the state that I'm raising my family in? Uh, in that, uh, what does it bode for the future? And that's where the, the bigger questions come out. And that, I think that's probably the level where I've sort of spent most of my time on this program is sort of helping you find your Egypt, you know, your place of refuge, right, where Joseph took the baby Jesus and Mary because he was called to lead, provide, and protect them from the slaughter of the innocents uh, of, the, of the child Jesus, right? And you've heard me say that. And so um, I will continue to do that. I'll continue to offer guidance for families who are in those circumstances, seeking a Benedict option, seeking a community that you can live with intentionally, seeking to, uh, in this Elijah moment, to not straddle the issue, but to find communities um, and priests and other families where you can live your Catholic faith intentionally and walk together uh, more closely with other families, because that's what it's going to take to, uh, well, in some ways to maintain sanity, right? And, and to, like, people don't realize how, like, the kind of oppression they're under and, and uh, really don't realize the kind of oppression they're under until they are able to breathe fresher air and they're like, oh, my goodness, it feels so weird how normal it feels when, when you're outside of that, like, oppressive situation. So, uh, but you've heard me talk about that. But I, I haven't talked about the, the, the mandate. And, and so um, just to, to give you a little bit of insight, I, I actually served as a consultant. Uh, you know, I do this like executive coaching work, right? I consult with companies. And one of the companies I consulted with for 10 years, that's, that's a long time, 10 years, 10 years, is a company that developed drugs, a pharmaceutical company. And I walked with them as they developed drugs through the course of these various phases these various phases of drug development leading to the approval of the drug. They go through, uh, you know, a stage where they, you know, they have this uh, idea and then they have to humanize once they find this. Uh, well, I won't go through the stages, but the point is that each step along the way they're, they're guarding for and looking for, is this drug um, safe? Is it effective? Is it durable? How much, uh, how effective is it? And then what's the dose going to be? And how do you deliver that dose? How are you going to manufacture that drug? And each of these steps, there is an intense degree of scrutiny and care, not only by the company, but overseen by the FDA. And so it's a painstaking process that is looking for just the right amount of just the rightly formulated drug uh, manufactured according to just the right process, delivered in just the right way, at the right amount, um, and it's going to be uh, given over the right time period in order to achieve the minimally effective dose, in order to make it the, be the most safe dose 
then also understand how durable or long-lasting that infect will be before another dose needs to be given. And then what will happen over the short-term, medium-term, and long-term, the long-range effects of that drug. And they, wow, you know, it takes years, many, many, many years to safely develop an effective drug. Um, and so, um, and when, when you hear about adverse effects and all of this, this was part of the, the journey that I was on with this company. And one adverse effect, one negative uh, patient, one patient that had negative effects could put at risk the entire drug development period one. So when I think about, um, when I think about vaccines, I think about it from the, the standpoint of safety. I think about it from the standpoint of, um, of the uh, concept of a conscience. And I think about it from the standpoint, uh, conscience meaning you should have the freedom to determine what medical treatments you receive, right? So in conscience. And then um, what about the question of, is it a moral? Is it moral for me to take this drug into my system because of the uh, the its origin or its manner of production? Does it involve um, an aspect of immorality? So there are different reasons why people would choose not to be vaccinated. Um, so anyways, just to say, um, I, I'm going to explore that more fully with you guys um, it, soon, soon. But I, I want to make sure that um, it's done in a way that's tempered, in a way that is, um, uh, in a way that is uh, offering guidance and not imposing a position, but just share with you the thoughts and reflections that I have uh, made myself and I've had, I've offered to others along the way. I, so I just share that with you just to say, uh, people have wondered, like, Tom, why do you hold back when it comes to this particular issue when you seem to be so forthright about other issues? And it's, um, it's that I, I'm trying to discern and play the part that God has for me, right? Not the part God doesn't have for me, but the part that God has for me. So stay tuned. <laughs> um, okay, let's come back around. Uh, today on Sound Insight, I'm picking up on a theme that I started last Tuesday. So it was a week ago, and it all came from a Father Jeff Lewis homily, where on a Sunday, a week ago Sunday, he shared about this this young man and the three manifestations of this young man. First has the rich young man who went away sad when Jesus told him to sell all his goods. And then the young man that was stripped naked in the garden and ran away. And then the young man that was at the tomb dressed in a white robe and how certain uh, scriptural commentators in Catholic history have said, Ooh, this is the same young man and identifying him uh, with a like spiritual interpretation as representing the three stages of the spiritual life in the traditional way of mapping out how do you grow in the spiritual life? You grow in a purgative stage, an illuminative stage, and a unitive stage. And I was really only talking about the purgative stage, the purging that goes on. The purging that goes on, the cleansing of the appetites, the the desires, the uh, the senses, so that the senses are not attached to things of this world, but that we, by being cleansed and purified, they are now become conduits or funnels through which we encounter God, present in them and th through them, we sense God through the things that God has created. And I realized that there was one other element of this that I think is very helpful and often under underappreciated. Not underappreciated. It's um, it it's not taught on very often. People don't teach on the let's call it the spirituality of concupiscence. That's how I'm going to call it. So you hear that word concupiscence, and you're thinking, okay, I I might have heard that word before, and if you've like done like catechism classes or you've heard talks about like the spiritual life, maybe you've um, stumbled into the word concupiscence. And um, concup what is concupiscence? Well, it is a, it's, let's say it's a, it's a desire that pushes us, leans us away from God. It's something that it happens at the level of the appetites and so it, it's important to understand how concupiscence operates in our lives. 
Uh, and I say that because of the internet. The internet stirs, prompts, fosters an increase of concupiscence. And that's incredibly dangerous for spiritual life and growth versus spiritual bondage. In what way? Well, I'll tell you in a minute on Sound Insight. So please stay tuned. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Carnes. Great to be with you today. So talking about in this section of the program, we're talking about um, concupiscence. So let's start back with Adam and Eve. So Adam and Eve, when they were created, they were born in a state of what was called original justice, in a state of holiness. They, they, things were right with God. They, everything was in order. Right? They, were, they, uh, they shined fully with the light of God. It was, it was God's gift to them. And they were free from this idea of concupiscence. In other words, their desires, their impulses, their inclinations were uh, in proper order. That when they desired something, it was in accord with God. And it was something that would lead them ultimately, and it was sort of like a carrier to God. So that their desire for this particular thing, like this, oh, this beautiful fruit, well, think of it as good fruit, not the bad fruit. <laughs> uh, it was like, wow, the beautiful flower and that scenery. Oh, wow, I, I just desire to go look upon that. It would say, oh, wow, and in that I see God, the beautiful creator, and it makes me want to love the desire as this loving pull towards God. So the desires that I experience within me are in accord with my created nature, and they help me, they prompt in me flourishing as a human being and growth in my relationship with God. They don't hold me down. They don't mix me up. They don't confuse me. Well, let me give you the other side. The other side of concupiscence can be understood by those who undertake keto. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, so I was, I already shared how I was uh, like just radiating the grace of finding keto easy for like almost three months. Loving it, lost 40 pounds. Unfortunately, now it's closer to 30 pounds because of concupiscence. Now, I don't, I, I shouldn't call it that. I should say because. I experienced at the level of my appetites, right? When you so when you say appetites, think emotions or desires that are associated with the body, bodily desires, emotions, appetites. Not as compared to reason, right? Your will is called your rational appetite. In other words, your will is those things that you love in accord with what is true and good and beautiful, as your reason recognizes it. So you you do will when you will something. When you say, I will, I, I, I will, I want, I love that in accord with right reason, that, that's, that involves your consent, that involves your will, right? That, that's at a deep level. That's at the level of your interior spiritual faculties. What I'm talking about is at the level of your passions and desires. And so just at dinner tonight, I went upstairs and Carrie said to me, honey, here, I made some dinner for you. And then she said, do you want a piece of bread with that? And she said, oh, sorry, that's not keto. And I'm like, well, neither is this and this on my plate either. So I might as well have two pieces of bread with that. And Carrie's like, well, just have one. <laughs> and here's the thing. Is like my reason clouded? Like, do I not know this? Am I not? like recognizing this, well, no, my eyes are wide open and I see it and I know it, that piece of bread. And it's not just like wheat bread. It's like buttermilk bread, but buttermilk bread needs even more butter on it. And I'm like, even as I'm doing it, even as I'm literally doing it inside of me, I'm looking at that piece of bread and I'm thinking, this is wrong. Like not like morally wrong. Like this is wrong. I'm not walking the path that I committed to walk today when I started my day and said, I'm back on it. I'm back on keto. Let's go. Not partial keto, not half keto. I'm in. I got this. So my rational appetite, my will was determined. I'm going to do this. 
But my desires, my fleshly desires started pushing, started inclining me to say, ignore that, ignore that, just do this. And it's amazing how I can see inside myself simultaneously my clear thinking that says, I will not do this. This is not right. This is not what I've intended and planned. I am not going to do this. While I'm literally in the action of buttering the bread and, and um, go walking away to then go sit down and eat the, eat the food and enjoy that bread. That is concupiscence in a nutshell. It is the battle that exists within us between the flesh and the spirit, between what we would will in our minds and what our passions and desires, our appetites, prompt us to do. And um, you know what? Okay, there's a little bit at stake when I have a piece of bread at dinner. Hopefully not a lot at stake, right? Okay, I'm going to gain a little bit of weight. I'm not going to, I'm not going to hit ketosis so quickly. I'm going to have to run extra miles and maybe fast a little bit more aggressively to kind of make up for that. But hopefully it doesn't tip me over into medically dangerous situations. And, you know, it doesn't have that much at stake in it, right? But when we are talking about the spiritual life, concupiscence is not a little thing. Concupiscence is that urge that is within us towards what is sinful, that lives in our being at the level of our bodily appetites, our desires, those inclinations and pulls that are in us that are evil. Now, experiencing those things is not sinful. Because remember now, sin involves the will. Sin involves the decision, the consent of the will. Remember now, the will is that interior spiritual faculty, right? It's the rational appetite. It's not the bodily desires and appetites. So this is where Jesus, uh, if you want to see scriptural examples of concupiscence, it's Jesus in the garden. Peter, James, and John, come with me. Ooh, they must have felt so, like, uh, elated and, um, uh, like, encouraged to say, Jesus, we're going to go with you. You've called us apart from everyone else to be with you in this hour of yours. We're in. And Jesus says, stay, watch, be awake for one hour and pray with me. And Jesus goes at a little distance from them, falls to his knees and starts to pray. And when they witnessed that, interiorly, they must have said, we will be vigilant with the Lord. We will be alert with the Lord, right? And, and if you, maybe you've never really pondered that and thought about that, but in the garden, when Jesus said, I need this from you, like when does Jesus ever need something from his apostles? He's saying, stay with me, be, pray with me, be with me, be awake and alert with me. It, at that moment when Jesus is saying this to them, like the only time he's saying, do this for me, and they fall asleep. And then he wakes them up and they fall asleep and he wakes them up and he falls asleep again. And, and what does he say to them? The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. There's a fallen dimension of our humanity, a fallen dimension that wages war against what we would do spiritually. And so in Catholic moral theology, there's a distinction between that which operates at the level of the will and that which operates more fully at the level of our total being, where the will and the passions or desires in our lives are integrated. And so, for instance, the easiest one to, uh, to, to, to show this is with regards to um, with regards to uh, chastity, right? So you, you know chastity. Like, so I often talk about purity, modesty, chastity, self-control. Well, there's a distinction in moral theology between continence and chastity. Continence 
and chastity. Continence resides in the will. Chastity resides in the passions. What does that mean? Well, what that means is this, is that when you think about sins against continence or sins against chastity, the uh, easy one to begin with is lust. Looking at a woman in a way that she just is an object for one's own imaginary sexual pleasure. And so in the sin of lust, there is this draw towards this, uh, this, this person, this woman outside of oneself, and you understand. It's, it's, it's utilizing the sexual urge in a way that is sinful. It doesn't lead to God. It instead leads back to oneself for one's own um, sexual desires. Okay. Now, when you battle against that sin and you are successful, there are two levels. So one level of successfully um, warding off succumbing to the sin of lust is what's called continence. And the man or the woman who's continent is the one who wills not to give in to the sexual desire in an inordinate way, an out-of-order way, in a sexually uh, uh, dark uh, way, so that the, that, de that desire will not be uh, allowed to exist in an evil way. Uh, I won't give in to it. So continent is when I say, I will not look at that woman lustfully. While simultaneously, that same man who says, I will not give in to lust, simultaneously experiences at the level of the passions and desires within him a disorder, an out-of-order experience, a, a battle. There's that battle between the flesh and the spirit where the bodily desires are saying, give in to this evil inclination, give in at the level of the appetites, at the level of the desires, those, those bodily desires, there is that um, willingness to give in, right? That, there is that, there's that inclination, that push to give in. But at the level of the will, there's no, I will not. And so that is a battle for a man. Um, well, what's chastity? Chastity is when there's no longer that battle. That not only does a man look at a woman and say, here comes a temptation from outside saying, ooh, look at that woman as an object for one's own sexual pleasure. And not only does that man say, I will not, but that man at the level of his own desires says, I am repulsed by that. I'm repulsed by that idea. And I repulse it. I repel it. I, I, I resist it. I say, no, I, that, that is not something that I want at all. I refuse to even allow my bodily desires to, to move in that way. So they become properly ordered. There's peaceful ordering. There's tranquility, even at the level of the bodily desires and appetites. They are not inclined towards that temptation. They're inclined towards a sense of saying, I will see in that woman only a beautiful creature of God and a reflection of God's beauty and as a gift from God. And so through that display of, of a beautiful woman, I come into contact with the beauty of God. That person is not only continent, but chaste. Chaste. And so our call in the spiritual life is to chastity, this beautiful ordering and integration of all of our desires and appetites into a healthy expression of our uh, of our own sexual desires, of all of our affections and emotions and desires in such a way that they allow us to flourish as human beings and lead us to God. Okay, so that's the distinction. And so this is where concupiscence comes in. Now, concupiscence is to experience an evil inclination is not a sin all by itself. In fact, what the Catholic Church says is that when through the fall, we've lost out on those original privileges that Adam and Eve had. And that 
we are restored into relationship with God through uh, baptism. In baptism, we are then experiencing um, a restoration of our human nature um, away from this sense of being cut off from God, right? So through baptism, we are turned back to God. Original sin is washed away, and we become elevated into children of God. Now, however, we have a human nature that's still weakened and wounded. We still suffer. We're still ignorant. We will die. And we have this inclination to sin. There it is, the inclination to sin and evil. That inclination is concupiscence. Now, why does that still exist? Why didn't the Lord wipe away with baptism that inclination towards sin and evil? Well, the church says that that inclination exists for us to battle, for us to really to grow in holiness and to grow in merit as we fight the spiritual battle. And so you have this beautiful teaching, not just about baptism, but about confirmation, that the grace that we receive in confirmation is gratia ad pugnam, the grace to battle, the grace to be pugnacious, the grace to fight spiritually. And so you should not be surprised that you're going to engage in a spiritual battle interiorly against impulses towards sin. But what does that mean for how it is we're going to live, and what does that specifically mean about the danger of concupiscence that I was talking about? Well, I'm up against a break. I'll tell you in a minute on Sound Insight, so please stay tuned. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. So I'm talking about concupiscence today, and just before I left on the break, um, I was I was drawing out like what's the church's teaching on this um, this idea that um, that concupiscence exists, and, and I gave you some examples of it from the scriptures, from church uh, moral teaching, from human experience. In a lot of ways, it's like Saint Paul, right? When Saint Paul talks about Romans seven. Um, what does he say in Romans 7? He says, in, I find then a law that when I have a will to do good, evil is present within me. For I am delighted with the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members fighting against the law of my mind and captivating me in the law of sin that is in my members. Unhappy man that I am who shall deliver me from the body of this death. So that's St. Paul talking about that in Romans chapter 7. So you can see St. Paul right there just like beautifully laying out, beautifully laying out, laying out the dynamic that exists within us as human beings. There's this battle. And so what's, what's so much at stake in concupiscence as this? If it's not sin, but it inclines us towards sin, here's the basic problem. That concupiscence is like walking on a floor that's not level, walking on a floor that's not level, right? When you, we're, we're so accustomed to walking on floors that are level, not a problem. But have you ever walked into an old house, like a really old house, where the foundation started to settle uh, in one area but not another? And you noticed it because when you walk into the room, it's like, oh, this side of the house is sinking, and now you're not on a level floor, and, and, and you're not always aware of it. Like, wait a minute. Whoa, this is kind of weird. I'm kind of feeling like a little bit like I'm kind of f- like leaning that way, right? You get what I'm saying? Okay, so that's concupiscence. Concupiscence is an unlevel floor. And it's a tilted floor. And that tilted floor it causes a bit of lean, or you can see the word inclination, inclined, an inclined plane, you're inclined to move in that direction. Now, if you're, if you're on a, um, in an old house and, and the settling is, is not major, well, the inclination will be so slight you may not even recognize it. 
But if you're on a floor where the inclination is serious, like it's significant, and uh, I said to you, I'm going to draw a straight line across the floor that runs along this tilted floor and just walk straight on that line immediately you'd feel how much energy how much like strength how much uh like attention you'd give to stay on that line and you might try as hard as you can you might say i will not not walk on this line but that tilt can become so great that you don't have the strength to walk on that straight line and you fall. Ooh, are you tracking with me? Do you see how this is related to the spiritual life? When you give in to a sin, the incline increases. The tilt increases. Concupiscence is the tilt in the floor of your spiritual life. And the more that we are assaulted by temptations and give in to them, the more tilted our spiritual life becomes. When you read about certain spiritual states, like you've heard of one, hardness of heart, right? Hardness of heart is one. Or you hear about like spiritual bondage, right? Spiritual bondage is where you're just stuck. Like you're, you're a slave to sin. You're no longer free. That's the addictive quality to sin. Um, when you hear about uh, this sense of um, having spiritual darkness where you lose awareness of the fact that you're even falling into sin, those are some of the fruits of, of sinning. That when you sin, you find that you're weakened in your will, clouded in your intellect, disordered in your passions, so that that battle exi- that exists in your inside of you, that battle between the desires for God and the desires of the flesh, that that war increases. And underneath all of that is an increase in concupiscence. That is the fruit of every sin. And when you stop and think about that, it's like, wow, there's a lot at stake in getting this right. There's a lot at stake in us uh, getting right the reality of um, of battling against concupiscence. It's like I, we need to pay more attention to that. And so when you stop and say, okay, well, what are some of the remedies? Because remember now, it's not just a matter of willing it, right? Because our will is weakened. It's not just a matter of recognizing it because we can recognize it, but not able to overcome that inclination because of that pull is so great. It can lead to that spiritual bondage. We need to apply specific remedies. And of course, we can think of the remedies of repenting and going to confession. And and those are definitely spiritual remedies, like repenting and going to confession to confess our sins. But if you can remember that the battle is raging at the level of our passions and appetites, then apply a solution and solutions that are associated with the passions and appetites. So the principal ones that I want to mention, I'm going to mention to you are fasting and other forms of bodily penance. Fasting and other forms of bodily penance. By doing that, what are we doing? We are telling our bodily desires that have this potency, this capability of inclining us towards evil to say, I'm going to get you in line. Remember now, we want to have that ordering, that peaceful ordering. Um, if you want to understand how, how like serious this battle is taken, you look at the example of almost any saint, but like St. Francis of Assisi, whose feast day we just had two weeks ago, St. Francis of Assisi referred to his body, his body, as Brother Ass. 
<laughs> it was like, okay, this is a donkey, and this donkey needs to be tamed and trained. Otherwise, this donkey, this this untamed un, and sometimes untamable beast is going to lead me down trails that I don't want to go. And and so he was vigorous and rigorous in his fasting. And not just in his fasting, but in penance. And so some of the forms that penance took were doing things that were just not comfortable. So you can read about the way that, um, like when a Franciscan... Um, had a bed, or the early Franciscans in their more rigorous like stage, in this earlier stage, there was a rigor to like what you slept on. And so there there wasn't like, oh, let's get a nice, soft, comfortable mattress and, and fluffy pillows and warm blankets. No, this was no, this was about a bit of rigor and vigor, and it was about um, choosing to do things that were uncomfortable and unpleasant, not soft and comforting to the body. Not to say the body was bad, not to say the body was bad, not to say the body was evil, but rather to say, I do not want the desires that my body are in, is inclined to, to lead me towards evil. And this is so much more easily misunderstood today than understood well. It is so much more easily misunderstood today. For me to say these things today is so easily misunderstood because of the context of the last 50 years that we're living in, where there is definitely a sense of saying we have been too rigorous in our approaches towards the body, where somehow the body was bad and the soul was good. And Certain spiritual writings contend in that direction. I think they're often just misunderstood when they're read, but be that as it may, that's not today's conversation. I say this, we're an age that does not appreciate asceticism, spiritual training, and penance, and mortification. Ah, mortification, to put to death the desires of the body. And boy, if you want any example of the way in which we just give in so quickly, we give in, actually... Un- unwittingly was the example I gave you tonight at dinner um, about the the choice of eating that piece of bread. Back in a minute with more sound. And- so, welcome back to the program. Um, the The battle against concupiscence is what I'm talking about today as part of the purgative way, as part of this idea that if we're going to grow in the spiritual life, we've got to get the first stage right. We've got to understand and dig into this first stage. And um, I mentioned that there are traditionally a few uh, remedies to concupiscence, and one of them is uh, fasting and bodily mortifications, penance. So you've heard me mention the idea of taking a cold shower rather than a warm shower, that that's a difficult thing. It's not an easy thing. It's not pleasant. It's not fun. It's, uh, and what is it doing? It's like my body resists it, right? And even if you say, I will do this, it's hard to say yes to that. Um, and then um, the idea of um, uh, doing things that are just more, um, things that I would relish and find particularly satisfying at the bodily level. So whether it would be like something as simple as kneeling when I pray or sitting in an uncomfortable chair versus the more comfortable chair or sitting straight up rather than leaning back in a chair or um, um, having a pebble in your shoe. How's that for one that is sort of a traditional simple mortification? I'm not saying hurt yourself and injure yourself. But I am saying um, we can be very soft on our bodies because of the age in which we've grown up in a way that we don't appreciate the spiritual fruitfulness that can come to our lives to be freed from or to have a, 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 a way of diminishing concupiscence, which bears so much spiritual fruit. So I... at the 
okay, I'm going all the way back to the beginning of the program again, but I said, this is an age of concupiscence in part because of the internet. The internet with all of its images, all of its um, uh, videos, uh, it, it's seductive, clever, uh, ubiquitous, like the, you can just, uh, you, you know, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, uh, uh, Snapchat, all of these platforms and, and many others, I'm sure, but I'm just thinking of these main ones, uh, just will feed you these short videos that will stir many desires and will stir them in a way that might at first seem innocent, but then begin to get you locked in, get you drawn in, and then all of a sudden surprise you. Whoa, wait a minute. Ooh, that just got dark. Ooh, that just got all of a sudden that got evil. And it's like, how did I get drawn into that? And guys get drawn into addictive situations. I shared this before in Sound Insight, but it's worth saying again to parents because parents don't get it. I, I know you think you do, but you don't. You don't get the ferocity of evil videos and images and messaging that are cleverly, seductively produced that are coming at your kids and and even coming at you, right? I shouldn't say even, but are coming at you too, but uh, coming at your kids. And, and three examples that just came at me one after the other um, over the summer. One was I was talking with a... Um, uh, a seminary rector. I, I have these classmates um, around the country who play different roles. A number of them are bishops or other leaders in different uh, diocesan offices just because of I, when I studied at the North American, a lot of these guys ended up in different positions. And so um, in any case, uh, I was talking with a, in this instance, a seminary rector who said that 10 years ago, uh, the presumption was that guys coming into the seminary um, were basically going to be uh, chaste men, right? Remember, continent and chaste, right? They were going to be continent, right? They would be willing to do what is pure and modest and acting with self-control and, and striving to live in an orderly fashion with their own passions, not that they were perfect, and so that occasionally they would uh, bump up against a guy who would struggle with internet pornography or with pornography. And so this is just 10 years ago. And so basic presumption, a guy that was battling to be chased and occasionally uh, bumping up against a guy who's struggling with pornography. 10 years later, the presumption is the guy entering the seminary has a problem with internet pornography. And every now and again, you bump up against a guy who is chaste and doesn't struggle with that. Complete flip in what is presumed. Now remember, who are these guys? These are the guys who take their faith so seriously that they are discerning and taking action on that discernment to dedicate their lives to Jesus Christ and the Catholic Church as a priest. That's the like level of seriousness with which they take their faith, and the presumption for these guys, these guys, that like group of men, is that they are struggling with internet pornography. That's the presumption. Whoa, that shocked me. The second story was, I was talking with uh, a guy that was in charge regionally of Focus, and uh I asked him about this question, and he said, oh, well, you know, focus missionaries, what we found is that one of the first things we do on the way in is that we um, have to put them through a training with regards to, and I think that makes great sense. So if these guys are coming to do missionary work on college campuses, that they should first offer a program to, you know, the people that would join on the college campus, the college students that are coming to them to help them deal with internet pornography. He said, no, 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 the missionaries that come on, the, the guys that are, and gals that are devoting themselves to work for Focus for two years, they have to go through a program where they are learning to deal with 
and help overcome internet uh, addiction to pornography. And I'm like, what? Again, you have to just remember who it is we're talking about. These are guys who are like so committed to their life with Christ that they're willing to dedicate a couple years of their lives to uh, help make disciples of Catholics on college campuses. I mean, that's like stunning, right? Their, Their willingness to commit to that. And they're the ones that are struggling with this. What does that say about everybody else, right? Uh, and then I, the third one was uh, president of a Christian college um, was saying how he was struggling to have men step forward on campus, students that are men step forward on campus to take up certain roles um, in the student community. And when he would like dug into it further or ask for, get more insight into why it's just principally women that are running, it was, well, men hesitate because of uh, this secret sin of pornography that they're ashamed. And so they feel disqualified to play a role of being a visible leader or a witness on a Christian campus. And it's like, what? This is the level at which pornographic images stir concupiscence. They stir that tilt in the floor so that it becomes so great that guys despite their will to say, no, I won't do this. I don't want this. I hate this. This is disgusting to me. And they fall and they feel powerless because of the raging desires that get stirred within them. Remember now, sin begets sin and concupiscence when sin is chosen increases and all of a sudden that battle just becomes that much more intense for these, I want to say these poor young men. So I haven't even talked about adults, adult men, right, who uh, are like if they're, you're busy on the front lines of your own life and struggling and, and, and having a hard time and things are, are not like pleasant and comfortable and easy and, and there's a stresses and pressures, how easy is it to give in to things that are going to bring momentary pleasure and, and a sense of satisfaction um, when all other sources around you might find life hard. Well, it's like, man, guys, we got to battle and battle together against the interior battle of concupiscence and the sins that that leads to. If we're going to feel and, and know ourselves to be courageous and strong to publicly stand and fight for what is pure and modest and chaste and self-controlled in our community. And that is just slaughtering our kids. So the purgative way, this this idea of, of being willing to engage in the purging of our, our bodily appetites and desires, there's a lot at stake in that, my brothers and sisters. There's a lot at stake that we, if we're going to grow in holiness and be radiant witnesses, got to be willing to fight that battle. Just got to be willing to fight that battle. There's a second remedy, and I'm up against the end of my program, but the second remedy is actually connected to the feast on Saturday. The feast on Saturday was of St. Margaret Mary Alacoque, the saint who to whom Jesus revealed his sacred heart. And there is a devotion to the sacred heart in that concept of devotion that guess what it engages? It engages the desires in a way that pushes us close to Jesus Christ, inclines us close to his crucified heart. Why is that so important? I'll have to wait till tomorrow to talk about that on Sound Insight. So God bless your day.